If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. You may want to put something there. We're going to be there for the next couple of months as we begin a new sermon series called Foundations. When you start a new church, what you do is you preach through the core values and you look to God's word and say, okay, what do we need to have is the core? Let me tell you, you're going to hear about Jesus this morning, every morning. It's all going to be about him. But this incredible story that God gives to us through the pen of Luke um, we're going to look today at Acts 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I don't know about you, but I, I love a good movie or a good story with a bit of a twist. Uh, one that when it ends, you're, you're kind of sitting there and say, no way, I just didn't see that one coming. And one of my favorite movies with an amazing twist is Sixth Sense. Now, listen, this is a spoiler alert, but can you have spoiler alerts for a movie that came out 20 years ago, all right? So you haven't seen this yet. You know, it's an incredible movie, and I'm sorry to spoil it for you, but it's this story of a young boy whose sixth sense, his ability was that he could see dead people, or he thought he could see dead people. And it's a story of a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist played by Bruce Willis. He, he nails it, he kills it, who's going to help this kid who thinks he's seeing dead people. Uh, and it's really, really, really well done. And at, at the very end of the movie, the twist that is unbelievable that you realize is that Bruce Willis's character, this child psychiatrist through the entire movie, he was dead. And it wasn't Bruce, this character was trying to help the boy who thinks he sees dead people. It was the boy who was trying to show Bruce, this character, that you're dead. And it's one of those things that afterwards it's like, I got goosebumps telling you this, by the way. It's like, it was like, no way. And what you want to do is you want to spend some time afterwards with anybody who saw the movie or with those who you saw the movie with. And you want to go, let's go back through it again. Let's remind ourselves. Let's see it through the lens that he was dead. As a matter of fact, Katie and I saw it. We were, we were at a conference. Uh, it was in San Diego. They don't know. We were suffering for Jesus in San Diego at a conference. And we went to this really cool theater. And we saw it. Um, and and uh, uh, that night, um, when we were getting ready to go to bed, uh, I, I was so afraid that I ran by the closet thinking that somebody might be in the closet. She's like, what are you running in here for? Oh, nothing. I'm, I'm fine. I'm terrified, you know. But anyway, um, it's a mind-blowing twist. And if you realize the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ has an incredible twist that blows our mind, too. Because God had promised a Messiah to his people. He had promised a Messiah who would do this. Ready for this? Who would make the world great again. He promised a Messiah who would make the world great again. A Savior that would set his people truly free. He promised a King that would come that would conquer all of his enemies. Now Jesus shows up on earth and he claims to be that one. He claims to be the Messiah, the Savior, the King, and he does some amazing things that proves that this really must be true. And his teaching, wow, no one taught like him. As he taught, people's hearts were burning. I mean, as he taught, I mean, their ears were just opening up like they've never heard teaching like this. But this Jesus was crucified on a cross. And saviors aren't supposed to be executed, right, before they conquer their enemies. 
and saviors aren't supposed to be executed before they set their people free and they make the world great again. But the most amazing twist of the gospel, the most incredible story ever told, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was actually through his crucifixion that he did conquer his enemies, sin and death. And ours too. It was through his crucifixion that he did set his people free. It was through his crucifixion that he began to make the world great again. Well, the most amazing twist of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that reality. Mind-blowing stuff. And we got to realize even the apostles that he spent three years preparing for this moment didn't get it. No one did. And after Jesus' resurrection, this is so beautiful, and we find out in the book of Acts, after his resurrection, he spends 40 days showing up, saying, I'm alive. The story continues. I'm here. And he spends 40 days teaching his apostles and us about God's plan all along, about the kingdom of God. Now, just picture them. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This changes everything. This cross, this resurrection. Tell us about the plan. This was the plan all along. Now, the guy who wrote the book of Acts is Luke, and he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, one of my favorite stories in Luke chapter 24, it's, a, it's, it's often referred to the road to Emmaus story. It's when two disciples who were in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, they're walking uh, to the road to Emmaus. And as they are walking, all of a sudden, amazingly appearing to them, they didn't recognize him right away, was Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, what are you fellas talking about on the road? They're like, where you been, guy? I mean, everybody's talking about the same thing. Are you living under a rock? We're talking about this Jesus because we had hope in this Jesus. We thought he was the promised one. We had put our hope in him. Finally, God's promises were being delivered. We thought, man, God is finally going to set us free. He's finally going to conquer all of our enemies. We had hope in this Jesus, but we were there when they killed him. They crucified him. And now we're just so bummed. Because messiahs don't die. And saviors aren't crucified. I love what Jesus does. Jesus opens up scripture to them on the road. And guess where he starts? It says he starts with Moses, which means he starts at the very beginning of the story. He starts in Genesis, and he works his way through the prophets. And later on, he's going to say he gets to the Psalms, and he's going through God's word, and he is proving to them that the Messiah had to suffer and die, that this was God's plan all along. And literally, their hearts were like, oh my gosh, I can hardly, this is mind-blowing. You mean that, that Passover lamb was all about Jesus? You mean all those sacrifices pointed to Jesus? You mean you you shine the light in the Old Testament and it points to a cross and an empty tomb. This is God's plan all along. Man, they were absolutely mind blown. So much so that they turned back around and went back to Jerusalem to tell the good news that Jesus was alive. See, this was God's plan all along. And here's God's plan. Very simply, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the fact that uh, God provides the plan, God supplies the power, 
uh, and God chooses a people. Uh, thanks, JP. I got that out of order. Thanks for tracking with me. But here's, here's that reality of, of what he is going to do, uh, that he does these three things for us. Um, that God's plan all along, listen to this, always been God's plan to save his people to make the world, begin to make the world great again. And the reality is, is that's what we're going to look at. What is the plan? It's always been the same. Who has the power? And who, what, how does God choose his people? So if you have your Bibles, let's look to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin uh, the story in Acts 1, looking through 1 through 11. Um, it's just so beautiful because what God is doing here is he's linking this to the, what Jesus had already started to do and, the, and is recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. And what happens in the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes this letter, writes this gospel to a guy named Theophilus. Which, interestingly, is it a real guy? Who is he? We don't know. Theophilus means friend of God. So Luke writes the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus about what Jesus did from his birth to his to his death, really. And then he's going to say, now Theophilus, I'm going to tell you more of the story because, listen, here's the point. Jesus is still active. This is still his story. So when you look at the book of Acts, who are the Acts about? Well, they're about the early church, but they're really the Acts of Jesus and how he works through them. Okay, let's jump in. Hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, let me tell you what this is all about. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait from the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will at this time you restore the the kingdom of Israel? We're going to unpack that. It's interesting. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, and they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for this mind-blowing, life-altering, history-changing story, true story of your son, Jesus, for his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, I pray that each one of us, that you would give us the ears to hear your voice, that you would be teacher the mind to understand what does this story mean for us personally and for us as a church. 
That God, you would come with power, that you would empower us to, to not only understand but embrace the story and to walk in a manner worthy of this story, to understand our role in this story. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said and that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we got to see is it was God himself who provides the plan. Jesus spends 40 days with his apostles after his resurrection, proving that he's really alive. And many proofs. Guys, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He appears to 500 people. I mean, there was no doubt he ate fish. He was touched. This Jesus who was crucified is now alive and everything changes. And what is he teaching them about? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Because they, they, they didn't understand what that was really all about. He's telling them the plan. Now here's what we got to know with God's plan. Two important things. One is God's plan is never changing. God's plan never changes. God doesn't have a B plan for his story or yours. It never has. It never will. God's plan is timeless. God's plan is immutable. And God's plan was this. You want to know what God's plan is? It's the same from the beginning until the very end. God's plan was always, is always, to fill the earth with God's glory through God's people. That's it. God's plan, very simple. Fill the earth, all of it, with his glory through us, his people. That was always his plan. There's great continuity, I love this, and continuation between this gospel of Luke uh, and to the book of Acts, as we saw, both written to Theophilus. And it says what Jesus began to do, he now continues to do. At the end of the gospel of Matthew, he gives us a great commission. He sends us out, and what does he say? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my glory, make disciples of all people. Jesus' plan never changes. It never has. God's plan never changes. The Father's. What's God doing? That's it. But there's more than that. It's never, it's not only never changing, it's never yielding. Did you see what did you see what the apostles ask of Jesus? Is it time? To make Israel great again. That's what they thought. They had such a nationalistic Jewish understanding of the kingdom that was wrong. They thought it was time for the nation of Israel to be great again. And I use that language with with reason that we hear in our culture that the goal is to make maybe America great again. Our goal as Christians is never a nationalistic, it's never an ethnic goal. It goes so much bigger and beyond that. God will never yield to our plans. He will never yield to what we want. Why? Because God is God. And his plan is for us to be Jesus's witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I love the Hebrew or the Greek word there. Uh, it's where we get the word martyrs. You're going to be my martyrs. You're going to be my story. You're going to be the ones who die to yourself and live for me and I'm going to tell my story through you. And I'm going to fill the earth with my glory through you. 
That's what he has planned to do. It's incredible. And that's what he'll never yield us. That's what we are to do. To fill the earth with his glory. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you know what sin causes us to do? It did in the beginning. When man fell, it does now. Sin causes us, we want our own plan, don't we? We want to be God. We want to do what we want to do. And Satan always has a way to have us focus on ourselves and our own plans, advancing our own kingdom. That is how we got into this mess of sin. We said, God, thanks for your plans. We're going to do it a little bit better. And man, it was a mess. But sin not only wants you to focus not on what God's plans are, but your own, but sin also wants us to spectate versus participate in God's plan. Is there not something great about the fall? Did it not feel a little bit cooler this morning? Did somebody feel, I felt it, it was a little cooler this morning, it was awesome. But you know why we really love the fall, don't you? Well, people as shallow as me, you love the fall because sports are awesome in the fall. You have everything, football, you have playoff baseball, go Yankees, and you have hockey. And if you come to the Jake's household, guess what's flying in our front of our house? A hockey fan, a hockey flag. Tampa Bay Lightning. But do you know that I have such problems that I have in my closet not one, not two, not three. I have four hockey jerseys. Because you need the home one, you need the away one, you need this team, you need that team. And I love about hockey is if you ever go to a hockey game, they all wear what they call, they don't call them jerseys, they call them sweaters. If you're really cool, you wear a hockey sweater. That's what you wear to a game, is a hockey sweater. And so you wear the sweater or your favorite player, your favorite team, you sit up in the stands and you, you yell and you you know, scream and all that good stuff. But let me tell you something. Realistically, no matter how much the 12th team, the 12th man helps or the 6th man or whatever it might be, you have no, in, no impact on the game. I mean, you really don't. If you showed up, didn't show up, doesn't really, really matter. You just wore the jersey. Here's the point. I think a lot of Christians love wearing the jersey. They love the fact that, man, on the cross, Christ wore my sins. I wear his righteousness. I wear his name. Incredible. I wear his jersey. But somehow with Christians, we think we're spectators. We're to spectate. Not true. We're to participate. Let me tell you, I don't know why he did it, but it's God's design, never changing, never yielding, for you and me to fill this earth with his glory. It's our job. We are not, we are not to be spectators of what God does. We are the church. We are in Christ. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's plan. Remember, through God's people, God's desires to fill the earth with his glory. We are God's chosen vehicle. We are God's A plan. Uh, God plans to fill his earth for his glory for us. That's us, church. You wonder what what, what God wants to do with your life? He wants to use you so amazingly for something so much bigger than your own little life and your own little kingdom and your own little world. He wants you to be a part of the worldwide plan to fill the earth with his glory. And it's beautiful. And sin wants you to have your own plan. He wants you to tomorrow morning wake up and just think about your own kingdom, your own agenda. Or if you do have that jersey on, he wants you to think that you don't really, you don't really participate. You just spectate. I'm a devotional junkie. Every year I buy new ones. Some years, I, I, there, there'll be some that I never give up. 
Every year I try to buy a new Bible and read through it. But one of my favorite devotionals is New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. And he, he says this thing over and over that I love. He says, listen to this, it's so good. We as believers are not just the recipients of God's grace. We're the instruments of God's grace. The way you touch other lives around you, the way you love, the way you believe, we are to be instruments of God's grace. The plan for Jesus to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, at the ends of the earth. That's really cool because that is the outline of the book of Acts. The gospel is going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's kind of the outline of the entire Bible. It should be the outline of our very lives. And here's what I want to tell you about this. Jerusalem, a long way away, really cool place, by the way, and I'd love for you to go sometime. But what does it mean to us? Here's what it means. Jerusalem, be a witness for Jesus to those who are close to you and those who are like you. That's Jerusalem. Those who are close and those who are like him. Okay, Judea, what does that mean? Well, it was those who were not as close. They were a little bit further away, but they still liked them. So these will be the people that probably vote like you, look like you, that may not be there. You've got to impact them too. But what about Samaria? Now, Samaria was interesting because they were fairly close, but they were not like the Jews. So you have a witness to those who are close and like you, those who are not so close and like you. But by the way, have a witness to those who aren't like you, who don't vote like you, don't think like you, don't drive what you drive, don't vacation where you vacation, but are near you. So you want to have an impact to them, and by the way, into the ends of the earth. So the gospel should move from the epicenter of our lives to all the areas of our life. You know, we've talked a lot about um, our motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? Um, but our vision statement, Christ's kingdom, this is our vision statement for King's Chapel. Christ's kingdom, what he taught about for 40 days, more fully visible. It's here, but we want to see it more, the rule and reign of Christ. Christ's kingdom more fully visible and Christ's church more clearly beautiful. Because it is beautiful in Christ Jesus. But man, we need to act it. In the northern suburbs of Orlando, central Florida and beyond. God's plan has always been for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. That's what he's called us to do. He now he provides us the plan. He also supplies the power. Secondly, you will receive power. I love the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God supplies the power to the plan that God provides. God empowered with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, listen, you guys can't do this on your own. You're a bunch of scaredy cats. You've proven yourself to be what you really are. So just hang out here until you get the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to do what I called you to do. What did the apostles prove themselves to be? Deniers, betrayers, and doubters. It's probably why I love them so much, because I relate to them so fully. But how did these deniers, betrayers, and doubters change the world? They were empowered with the Holy Spirit. But here's the reality too. Sin always wants you to focus on your own power. You're going to be in one of two camps. You're going to want to be overly self-sufficient. And I look around and see some of you are overly self-sufficient. Saying, I can do it all on my own. I don't need any help, thank you. I got this. I love this. I love the strength. I want to be a self-made man, a self-made woman. You think you could do it yourself. God never wants you to do it yourself. He wants to empower you to do what he called you to do. Or you're overly self-deficient. That's like some of us too. I can't do anything. I'm no good. I'm worthless. 
But remember, the reality is this. God will always empower you to do what God calls you to do. Did you hear that? God will always empower you to do what God calls you to do. And what God calls you to do might be outside of your comfort zone. It might be outside of your natural abilities. But remember, if God calls you to do something, God will empower you to do it. You got to apply the gospel to your situation. I love, I've learned so much from Katie. I've learned so much from her faith and her prayer life. And as an introvert who, when she goes into social settings, will tell herself, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to have the chance to see somebody. Or, yeah, I, I know that whoever I see, God has planned. Uh, and it's good for me. And it's going to bring him glory. I'm like, wow, that's applying the gospel to right where you are, to any fear you might have or to whatever. And by the way, I did get permission to tell that story. Um, but we have to remember this too. This is very important. Listen, you and I don't have the ability or power to do what God asks us to do. Did you hear what I just said? You don't have the power to do it. You don't have the ability to do it. God, sin, the consequences of sin so much as it strips away our ability to please God. It's all about the gospel of grace. What God requires, God supplies to us. When I worked on staff uh, for a pastor who, uh, he had an amazing thing in the back, in, in his bathroom. He had a really cool saying um, I'll never forget it. It was beautifully framed and it said this, attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God is in it. What a great thing, right? Who hangs that in the bathroom? I mean, that's just kind of odd, right? Like attempt something so great. Is there a message with this thing? But I love that fact. It's reality. It's, you know, just listen, go attempt something so big for God. It's doomed to failure unless he's in it. But you know, I think sometimes as Christians, we wait for that huge thing to do for God. He wants you to walk across the street and say hello to your neighbor. He wants you to love that one that doesn't feel very lovable. He wants you to just share your faith to someone close to you. He wants you to trust him with his job and your marriage. He doesn't want you to wait for that great, huge thing you're going to attempt. He wants you to just walk with him. And he's going to empower you to do it. What God requires of you, God supplies for you. It's a beautiful thing. Lastly, God chooses the people. He says, you will be my witnesses. If God provides the plan and God supplies the power, shouldn't God have the right to choose his people? It says in verse 2 that his apostles were God chosen. Throughout scripture, Ephesians 1, 4, but found the foundation of the world, God, for those who are his, he, he loved us because he loved, he chose us in him. I mean, it's incredible but you have to realize this. Sometimes get, people get stuck here and think, I don't like the feeling of that, that God chooses the people. I mean, that's not just right, is it? But let me tell you, if you don't think it's right, you don't really understand sin because sin disqualifies us from the ability from choosing. Sin has such consequences on us spiritually. Ephesians 2.1 says this, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does a dead man choose? Nothing. If left to us, no one would have a relationship with God because all of us have been so affected by sin that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Sin disqualifies us, but it does more than that. It disables us from doing. It disqualifies us from choosing and it disables us from doing. We cannot do anything to follow God or live for God apart from his grace and enabling power through the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Do you believe that? We are unable to do anything that pleases God apart from his grace and mercy that is found in the work of his son empowered by his Holy Spirit. We have nothing that we can claim of our own except for our sin. 
But by the grace of God, we know him and love him, and he chooses to use us and fill the earth with his glory. It's a beautiful thing. How do we know if we're God's chosen people? People get freaked out about that. If you love the things of God, you have received the blessing of God, you're it. If your heart flutters when you hear the name of Jesus, if even though you stumble and fall, you still want to love and know him, it's because the Spirit of God is in you. God provides the plan, fill the earth with his glory through his people. God supplies the power. What God calls us to do, he empowers us to do through his Holy Spirit. And God chooses the people, those in Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Three questions as we close. Are you living your life according to his plan or yours? We all get bumped off that. Is it it the master plan your life or is it the master's plan? Are you living your life relying on your own power or his? And lastly, are you his? Do you know him? Do you know the joy of him as your Lord and Savior? There's nothing like that. Let's pray. My Father God, thanks for this picture into the early church. And I love the fact that you spent 40 days with your apostles after three years Because they saw that crucifixion. Although they ran and they were scaredy cats, they knew what happened to you. But they also touched the resurrected Savior. They also had fish with God's Son who was dead, but now alive. And it changed everything. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, they were back to the plan to fill the earth with your glory through your people. And God, we thank you for your plan that it never changes. We thank you that your plan is not going to fail. It will succeed. And we thank you that you've given us a plan that's so much bigger than just our own nation. It's a worldwide plan. And God, we thank you that all that you require of us, you've provided for us in Jesus and your Holy Spirit and your word. And God, we thank you that we're yours, beloved in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that you tug on their hearts, you draw them to yourself, they'd realize that, God, they're broken and needy, they can't do it, that sin has disqualified them and and absolutely disabled them. But Jesus is enough. And in faith and love, they would embrace him as Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, God, may we not live our little plans tomorrow. Oh, God, help us to live for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor tomorrow and every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.